Sound effects in this podcast is brought to you by Festlian Studios, BattleBars.com, and Pro Sound, and some of them are made by the Dungeon Master himself. This show is R-rated, so everybody be advised. Hey guys, and welcome back to Nordic D&D, the Ariana Saga. My name is John Otnason, and I am your host, Dungeon Master, and ruler of this campaign. We have now officially reached episode 2. In episode 0, we got an introduction to the games, we met the players, and we got to know a little bit about what this podcast is. And last episode, we started the first flashback, where you met Hatterai, the elven monk, you met... Victor, the barbarian elf, and you met Sovan, the young human, Hexblade, Warlock. Today we're going to continue the flashback, but then in the next episode you're gonna get that more Dungeons and Dragons feeling, when we're tossing dice, we're making checks, and we're ruling all the outcomes of the choices the players make. But first, let's continue this flashback, and our first stop is Camp Lore. So a young boy has come searching for knowledge, and he's been told that his very own grandfather is the wisest elf alive. And now they're sitting together at a bonfire, discussing all things relevant in Ariana. Grandfather, may I ask you a question? That's what I want you to do, boy. Yes, well, last time you talked about the O-Era, but how do we know this? How do you know all the facts if the O-Era was not documented when it happened? Well, that's a good question, boy. No, they were not written down on scrolls then, but passed down verbally through time, and written later by someone who has talked with the divine beings and written them down directly. But it is true, much has happened then that is not written, but not all things are worth knowing. No, I guess not, no. Now, where were we? Well, the gods had created Ariana and life, you said. Ah, yes. Well, the god Valdra made the elves to tend the forests of Ariana. This is also in the beginning, boy. Then later she made the humans to tend the farms of the land and the goliaths to protect them. Is that the giants of the north? Yes, but not, not the giants per se, boy. They are smaller than the hill giants. Okay. Then Bushka made the dwarves to tend the mountains, and the halflings to tend the grassy hills, and the gnomes to tend the swamps. But as time went by, some of them left their duties and moved around to different lands, tending their own business. These were the first creations created. I see, Grandfather. But clearly there are many more races today. They are, son. And I will get to that as well. But I want to ask you a question. Do you want to know where magic came from? Oh yes, please. Well, it all started with the god of war and destruction, Ignitus. He also wanted to make creations of his own. And the first created being he had, had magical powers. They were called the Dragon Men. Dragon Men? You mean the Dragonborn? No, not a, not at first. In the beginning they were called Dragon Men. They got the name Dragonborn later, and I can explain that to you. In the beginning, 
these dragon men entered a mass interbreeding with other species and the biotechnology of the dragon men gene is mixed humanoid gene and something called dragon gene and a small amount of celestial power this is the source of their sorcery not making them immortal like the gods but giving them magical power but the dragon gene cannot be passed to a child if one of the parents is of another species like a human then the child will look and be as a human and not look like the other parent who is a dragon man or dragonborn as they're called today it will only inherit the humanoid gene like personality and resembling facial features they will not have scales and they will also inherit the celestial power or making the child able of sorcery this is how sorcerers came who were not dragon men now like i said there are sorcerers of all kinds of species today but those who are dragon men are now called the dragon born because they are pure and they were the first born with power the god Ignitus made a dragon born and introduced magic and sorcery to the world thousands of years ago. Now the sorcerers made an Arcanian tower and took pupils of different races and taught them magic. And you know what they were called? This must be the wizards. You are right boy, you are already getting wise. Those who know magic by learning are called wizards. My grandfather, isn't it to my understanding that the sorcerers have a lot of animosity against the wizard and vice versa? There's a lot of hate between them. You are right again, boy. And this all happened after the Arcanian War. The Arcanian War? Yes. Let me explain. There was war 500 years ago. The sorcerers, founders of the Arcanian Tower, where the schooling of the wizards lived their lives and died, and so did their sons. But the third generation sorcerers looked down on these wizards that they created themselves, and they were mocked and called fake magic handlers. Because unlike the sorcerers who are born with power, wizards can only obtain it by hard work and learning. So the animosity already started there. It did. Then what happened, grandfather? Well, when the last elder died of the second generation sorcerer, all the third and younger generations abandoned the Arcanian Tower, ending the schooling of wizards' pupils, thinking that would be the end of all wizards, and left them to tend for themselves. But the elder of the wizards just took over the schooling, and everything went on just fine. They had written down in books everything they had ever learned, and even learned new things for themselves. This shamed and angered the sorcerers, who became jealous, and tensions became hatred. And then there was war between the wizards and the sorcerers, and the Arcanian War had started. So the war you're talking about, Grandfather, the Arcanian War, is that what they call the shame of the sorcerers and wizards? It is, son. And you will understand what I mean very soon. Let me explain about the war. You asked before about the, the creations of the gods 
and asked about Grimna. Grimna by itself did not create anything because he's the god of death and shadow. But through this battle, he was able to make creations of his own or more take creations already created and corrupt them by the power which came after the Arcanian War. The Arcanian War lasted for 10 years. And the last and biggest battle that ended the war was on the land of Vildra and is now known as the Necro-Vildra Battle. The battle was so severe that the amount of magical power channeled there killed all animal and plant life on the battlefield. And even years after the battle, the people of all races who lived close and around the area became severely ill, losing hair, throwing up, getting severe rashes, spasm attacks and even death. Children were deformed who were born afterwards and close to the area. The god of death saw this massive energy and he took it and he molded it and tampered with it and he created we now know or call necromantic power. All the wizards and sorcerers saw what he had done on the field and they even found out what Grimna did with the energy. They dropped their arms immediately so no one actually won the war. And after it, many of the wizards and sorcerers became madly depressed, paranoid and scared of the consequences of what they had done. And some of them even became suicidal. The god Grimna saw this, called out to them. You tormented souls. Let me relieve you of this agony. And offer them relief of this torment. Take my offer of relief. And turn to me your god, Grimna. And they took the offer. You will become my acolytes. With this new power, Grimna turned them into warlocks and witches. And this is how he got minions on Ariana to serve him. The remaining amount of wizards and sorcerers who are not affected so severely swore to never enter war against one another again, fearing the extreme consequence of what happened at the Necrovilra battle. And they agreed that if this would ever to happen again, it would be the end of all things. But there is still much bitterness and even hatred among the sorcerers and wizards. They blame one another for what happened. So because of the wizards and sorcerers and the Necrovilra battle, this was the origins of necromancy. I see, grandfather. So this was Camp Lore. Now we're gonna continue the second part of the first flashback. We're gonna follow Hadurai, the elven monk, Victor, the elven barbarian, and Sovan, the warlock human.
But before we get to that, we travel to the realm of the god of destruction, Ignitus. He has gathered a council of demons, and he's addressing them. I cannot wait any longer for that, Naruk. Bring my scheming once more, and I will not have it. There will be no dark age, but one of fire. Who among you will go to Ariana and find a way for me to enter? So the Inferno Scourge will begin. Those who fear me will suffer. The demons fear most of all to fail their god. There is no greater disgrace among the demons. And the punishment for it is so severe that they fear nothing more. So only two volunteer the calling of Ignitus. Ah, Enoch and Emaron. So be it. You will be my general. Succeed and I will bless you and make you high demonic lords. How do you plan to proceed? Enoch, Enoch, you have already once been slain and cut out of Ariana. True, my lord. But my name is already known and feared there. But remember, I have an offspring there. And through him, I can restore my former glory. So let me redeem it by doing this task. And then, I will find a way for you to enter Ariana. <laughs> your last day in Ariana was on your own volition. And you failed to stay alive. Now you are sent by me. Failure is not a choice. Are you slain once more, or you fail? Your spirit will not live on and find its way back here, but to my realm of torture. And you, Nemeron? I am not like Erok, my lord. Brute force is not my way. That schemes. I knew this time was to come. So I have wandered around Diana for an age, learning and finding ways for you. I will not enter Diana hoping to become strong to find your way in. <laughs> I've already planned it out, using what is already there. I will give you Diana, my lord. As a gift. So the Inferno Scourge shall begin. The same will happen to you if you fail me, Nemeron. Now go, now go, I grow impatient. And now to continue where we left our heroes last episode. Last we left our heroes, we were in Ronin. The rich Jack Silversling had died, and there is mourning among the Silversling family. Sovan remembers seeing a burned hand of the assassin who killed Jack Silversling, and Hadarai saw the same thing. Sovan went out asking around if anyone knew anyone with a burned hand. 
Meanwhile, Hadarai and Victor went off to the general goods store to buy. When they returned, they see Sovan running after a man. They joined to help. They chased down this hooded person. They grabbed him, Hadarai, Victor, and Sovan was already there. And then they pulled off his hood to reveal him to be... It was Jack's brother, Mike. Sovan had seen him walking outside the house in the middle of the night, getting ready for what seemed to be a long trip. Odd, since his brother had just died. And before he was to get away, Sovan ran after him. And of course, he noticed and ran off. He was almost on the outside of the town when Sovan caught up to him. And Victor and Hadarai were right after. I took him to an empty house close by. And we were, let's just say, persuading him. Talk. Fine. He told us everything. He had faked his own kidnap to make some money. And he had hoped Jack came himself to free him. So he could end him there. But since that did not work, he had to make a new plan. So he hired an assassin to kill Jack. So he can become the heir to the entire Silver Sling's fortune. He was on his way there to meet and pay the assassin in Little Canyon. In fear of Jack not working alone, we took him with us to Amek. The trip to Amek is four to five days. They have to go east-north away from where they are now in Roland. The city of Amek is a small community of fishermen and farmers. It's on the harbor and it is well known to them that there's a wizard living there in its tower. Information they got from Jack Silversling, who recommended they go there next. Our plan was to get the amulet checked and then use Mike as bait to get a revenge on the assassin. But first, we went to Amek. Amek, as you know, was a small farmer's town where the wizard Gial has his tower. So we went to him to get the amulet checked. It didn't take him long to find out the rarity of the oh item. My, 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 my. This will take a minute. And said it will take a few days time to identify it. For its magic is old but powerful. Extremely powerful. Victor was outside with Mike to make sure he did not escape. Gial told us to go over to the farmer's inn by the lake and say that we were friends of his and they will give us a good offer on rooms and rations. So we did, and we had Mike with us the entire time, keeping a close eye on him. But as time went by, we fell asleep. I can't remember who was keeping watch, but we suddenly woke up, hearing screams and smelling fire. We all jumped up to go outside to look, and within a few hours, the entire village of Amek was in flames, and bodies were all around. Ghoulish beasts were running around, slaughtering everything. We fought and killed all the ghouls. 
And in the rush of battle, we forgot about Mike, who was bound up by the inn. Victor ran to check up on him, but was too late. He had escaped and jumped in a river and swam off. When Victor returned to tell us, an agreement was made to go to Little Canyon to find the assassin with the burned hand and kill him. As we were about to leave on a wagon nearby, we saw a green formation of energy coming from Gial's tower. We ran over there to find the disfigured old man, and I called out to him, Gial! The disfigured man looked at us and said, Gial is no more. I, Amrion, have returned. He was standing over four stones. The earth covered with blood of the townspeople and he was performing some kind of ritual so the fight was on we were three and he was alone but the power of Amrion was too great we failed to stop him in time the ritual was completed and his full attention was on us now it was the fight of our lives and it looked like utter defeat Victor was down, I was down, it was up to Zovan, but suddenly it was like I saw with the corner of my eyes an angel, his bright yellow eyes, but he was engulfed in shadow coming from his sword. You heard the ecstasy of the battle, the two screaming their war cries and then steel cutting through flesh and the top half of Amrion flew across the fields and landed in front of my face. The shadow from Sovan's sword still seen on Amrion's head before it returned to Sovan himself. And that was all I remembered. When I came to again, we were sitting on a wagon. Victor was still out. I looked at Zovan and asked what happened. He didn't look back at me, but just said, I don't know, but I need to find out. He became really quiet. After a few breaths, he turned around and said, I don't know what that ritual was, but he finished it. And that worries me. But I wrote down the inscriptions on the stones. I asked what it did say. It had four names and something written underneath. I don't understand. What were the names? Monga, Sesha, Livana and Azuran. Okay, creepy names, I said. Where are we going, Sovan? He answered. We owe it to Jack to avenge his murder. So... We are doing as we agreed. We are going to Little Canyon. Rest a bit more, Hadurai. I agreed in a mumble, and I did as he said. We took shifts as the ride was long, and since Victor and I are elves, we don't need to meditate for too long to rest, but as Sovan is human, we did the most of the steering.
When we came to Little Canyon, it did not take us long to find information regarding the assassin. He was hiding under a fake alias as a carpenter in, in town on a particular job, but had finished it and was seen leaving the night before we came. With some persuading, we got to see his room where he had been lodging. To our luck, the room was not cleaned yet, so we searched for any clue to where he had gone. We found more than that, a letter written to the assassin that he had attempted to destroy by fire, but the flames had burned out so only part of it was gone, but what was left was more than enough. It had orders written of the assassinations of Jack Silversley and was signed by his own brother, Mike. We had found proof of Mike's schemes, but sadly it did not say where the assassin went. As we were leaving the room, we heard someone knocking on the door. We ignored it, but it kept knocking. We heard the door open and someone came in. We hid as the stranger came closer, so we had the upper hand. And as we were about to jump the intruder, I heard the screams of a woman. Don't kill me! Who are you? Victor yelled. She was clearly not a fighter and very scared, so we lowered our weapons. She asked for me by name and said Lisa Silversling has sent her to find us and give us three letters. The first was a wanted poster of us, Sovan, Victor and myself, for the slaughter of the villagers of Amek and the killing of Jack Silversling. 800 gold for our heads. The second letter was from Lisa Silversling herself, saying that Mike had returned to the Silversling estate and blamed everything on us. And she believed him until she overheard Mike bragging to some of his henchmen when he was drunk about the geniuses of his plan and soon all the wealth of the Silversling name would be his. But Mike found her snooping on him, so he took her, beat her and locked her away. Lisa managed to get the orders to this messenger and gave her the letters. She had luckily found a third letter on her way out of town. The last letter read, Execution for the crimes of aiding the killers of the Amek massacre, aiding in the death of Jack Silverslink, refusing to hand over information about where the killers are, and she herself charged for the poisoning of Tiberius Jack Silverslink Sr. Her sentence, death by the guillotine, at Roland Square at the third hour on the fourth day. Our hatred for Mike Silversling was only growing larger, so we did not need any persuasion from the messenger. We thanked her and we left for Ronan at once. By the time we arrived to Ronan, it was the fourth day, and the execution was in a few hours. We stealthily and in disguise walked through Ronan, and it was clear that Mike had hired a lot of armed men, and they had taken over the city. We noticed that people were gathering around the square. It wasn't long until the guillotine fell, so time was of the essence. We had evidence 
but no one to get it to. The mayor of town was nowhere to be found. We went to the Benders Inn to talk things over, and there Zovan recognized the bartender. It was the messenger sent from Lisa. So we asked if she knew anything about where the mayor was. She said yeah, Mike had gone mad. The mayor refused to give Lisa Silversling a death sentence on the stories he was accusing her of with no evidence, and he knew Jack and Lisa really well. That got Mike really angry, so he lost control and attacked the mayor, who was now kidnapped. Luckily for Mike, most of the guards were sent to Angel's Bliss on the king's errand. So Mike had a lot of more men than the mayor. He is now being held in a warehouse at the end of this road, to the east. So we made the plan to free the mayor and give him the evidence of Mike's schemes and free Lisa by force. Zovan felt confident that he was able to free the mayor, because it looked like most of Mike's men were at the square for the execution. Victor and I found a house that the mayor's guards were locked in, so we freed them and told them that we were helping the mayor to take back the town. They agreed to help, so the guards and we hid among the town people, trying to get as close as we were able to to get Lisa without blowing our cover. The plan was as soon as Zovan had freed the mayor, he will return to the square and then we attack. But time was getting close. Mike was on stage, Lisa was put in the guillotine. And Zovan was nowhere to be seen. We were starting to get worried, but then to my relief, I saw Zovan coming on stage from behind of Mike, sneaking to free Lisa. Then as Mike put his hand on the lever to drop the guillotine, Sovan kicked him in the back, pushing him away from the lever and pulling Lisa free. Then Victor screamed, NOW! And the fight was on. There were more soldiers than I thought, and a sorcerer was among them, setting the place on fire. I saw from a distance that Lisa was free, and Sovan was running to get Mike, who was fleeing. So I looked at Victor, who was in the midst of battle, pointing to where Mike had ran. He yelled, Go! I've got this! So off I ran, trying to get Mike from the other side of the building. Then out of nowhere, a hooded man was in front of me. I looked at his hands. They were burned. The killer, who assassinated Jack Silversling, was in front of me. He was hard to kill, but I ended him. Barely. It took all I had. And when I then came over to check on Zovan, he had pinned Mike to the ground, piercing his sword through his heart. We then ran back to Victor to tell him it was over. There he was, cutting a man down. He looked at us, smiling. We got close to him. And then we saw a large ball of fire coming from behind him. It exploded right on us. We were all down. And as I was on the ground, I saw Lisa running to our aid, jumping among fighting soldiers to get to us. She is courageous. It saved our lives. So she returned the favor for her rescue the same day. 
we got back on our feet and killed the rest of Mike's men. After that day, King Vash, the mayor, who was an older man, resigned. And it is custom in Ronan that a mayor stepping down out of office may choose who takes his place. And Lisa Silversling was chosen. And she is the one who told your advisors about us and why we were invited to your court. But I was sad to find out that Zovan had left the next morning to find some answers about, let's call it, his conditions. But I understand, and I hope to one day see him again. Well, the rest is known to the court, great king. We meet Hunter on our way here for our first visit to the court, and he came to our aid and was a great guide in Angel's Bliss. And when you sent us to take care of Richard von Nash, Victor disappeared and has not been seen since. I know nothing of his conditions, I am sad to say. And when we came back from the Richard's job, we came across Kedal. We freed him from captivity, and he helped us escape the general and his men from Forway, of what you know the details. And the three of us have just returned from a job to Arachne's cave with your advisor and scholar, Ava. And now we sit in your court. That is all, great king. As soon as the elven monk was finished talking, he put his hood back on his head and went back to his chair to sit down. There was large discussion among all the advisors after Hadarai was finished speaking. Then the king himself rised from his chair. And King Vash just stood there, silent, saying nothing. But his mere presence was well understood. There was silence in the courtroom immediately. And then King Vash said, We will look into this, Hadarai. And sat back down. This was the end of episode 2 of Nordic D&D, the Ariana Saga. Well, this flashback is over. Next time we're going to hear about one player going on a journey to find himself. This is going to be a more of a Dungeons & Dragons game as we know it with the rolling dice and the checks. And it's going to be glorious. Hope to see you next time guys and I promise you it's only going to get better. We're going to hear about more about lore and we're going to have a lot more to give you. Oh yeah, and one last thing. If you like cool sound effects like we use in this show, like this one. And that one. Some of this. Visit us at nordicdnd.podbean.com or our YouTube channel. Take the link to battleparts.com, then you'll get a discount on subscriptions. And remember guys, if you like the show, then like, subscribe, and leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening on. See you soon.